This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and friends at New Wave with their Flow State Coffee. This is coffee blended with raw cacao and L-theanine, which is an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety and also sets your brain into an optimal performance mode, a flow state, if you will. It's coffee for creativity. Let me help you get 10% off your first order at newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Go to newwave.co slash Berman and get 10% off your new favorite coffee. Let's get at it. Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. You may or may not be able to hear my dog, Maggie, the magpie, snoring in the background. We're just going to... We're going to let her be. She's she's a good girl. She's, she's very tired. My guest this week is Marquis Lavoie, otherwise known as Greg Marquis. Marquis Lavoie has a new record out now. It's called Something Like This, But Not This. You can listen to it online. You can also get the vinyl if that's your thing. He's an indie folk singer-songwriter based in Boston, Massachusetts. He's also the singer and one of the primary songwriters of the hardcore band Actor Observer, great guy it was great to sit down and chat with him and kind of go through what led him to this project and of course what he had to do throughout this past difficult year to make it all come to fruition now i don't know about you but when i hear something that is tinged french or quebecois i can't just assume i know how it's spelled so for the purpose of you all being able to find it m-a-r-q-u-i-s-l-a-v-o-i-e marquis lavoie And of course, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, the Berman Hour Podcast, wherever you are listening. All right, let's get into it. My interview with Greg Marquis, Marquis Lavoie. Let's get it. I know you because of your older brothers. Mm -hmm. That's how I met you. Yeah. Were you always musical because of them or did you feel like it was something that you had developed on your own as a young kid that's a wow interesting question i you could never separate the two i could never say that they were mutually exclusive so i've always been musical um but i also being the youngest of of musical brothers and a, a musical 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 parents you know my dad uh played and sang but my mom was also just enthusiastic about music and sang in the car so what kind of stuff did you grow up listening to from them from my parents or from my brothers well both but i'm I'm curious from your parents first of all yeah well uh well my dad was a a blues folk finger-picking guitarist musician um, early on, but when I was a kid, I was just like, ah, oh, that's old people music. But I still like enjoyed the the excitement of you know him playing guitar in the dining room, and then my mom. And, you, and I have to I have to cut in and just say, well, you must yeah. be an old ass motherfucker now because listening to your new record, you're finger picking on an acoustic guitar. <laughs> I'm, I'm finger picking. <laughs> that's the thing. I always liked the finger picking. Um. Yeah, but when you know, and I developed an appreciation for folk and blues as I got older, and yeah, you know. Yeah. But my mom, uh, she she was into all sorts of stuff, uh, but especially like 
upbeat funk and soul. She was like, oh, I cool. remember we bought her a whole like funk and soul classics CD collection and we would just listen to it all the time. But she also got a lot of her musical influences from Sean and Brian. So it's funny. I'm so much younger than them that a lot of their musical interests went to my mom and then to me. Interesting. <laughs> so like Ben, ben wow. Folds Five, I remember some of my earliest memories of like music I loved was singing uh, Whatever and Ever Amen that Ben Folds Five record in the car with my mom because Sean and Brian got her hooked on it. Oh, and that's how cool. I developed a love for Ben Folds. And then I remember Sean and Brian introducing like the family to Incubus. And I was at like age seven, I was like, I need to make this band my life. And so Incubus <laughs> was like my favorite band for, I don't know, like 10 years, uh, like from seven to 17 um, but yeah, uh, Sean and Brian, as long as I can remember, were playing music in the basement, uh, like loud hardcore bands, rock bands, you know, Faith No More and Cake cover bands, like all just whole gamut. So I definitely, I can't, like, I, I have to attribute so much of my musical inspiration and interest to them and to my family. It It was, it was unavoidable, but I also naturally felt like, yeah, this makes sense to me. I love singing. I love, you know, I was always singing like as early as possible. I was into chorus. And then my first instrument was piano at like age seven. So I mm -hmm. took three years of piano and I always had an ear for, for, um, for pitch. So I was really bad student because I was not interested in learning to read music uh, because I could just hear stuff and be like, okay, I can replicate that. So I was always focused down at my fingers and what I was listening to. And so I learned reading music, but it was, it was, a, it was a struggle. So yeah, well, what, my what's the age difference stuff. between you and your brothers? Brian and I are 10 years apart. Okay. So, uh, next in, in about a month, he turns the big four Oh, that's right. And a couple months I turned the big three Oh, and then Sean and I are six years apart. So Brian's okay. 10 years apart. Sean's six years older than me. So yeah, pretty big, big age gap there. So uh, by the time you're in high school or in kind of your formative years where you can match your fierce independence to your musical style of what you really love, they were out of the, out of the house, presumably, or, or at least yeah. out of the picture more than when you were, you know, yeah. uh, a little kid rocking out to Incubus at six and seven years old. <laughs> was there something that you gravitated to that was different or that you felt more uniquely as your own when you were that age, when you were, you know, finishing up mi middle school, entering into high school, and then as you were about to become an adult? I like that you're asking that question. No one's ever really asked me about that because it, being the youngest, it is a, it is a struggle. It's a, you know, an identity thing. To, uh, like, I mean, I've always looked up to them. We all have a great relationship. So I was always inspired by them and, for a long time, I looked to them as my approval for musical taste. So like, <laughs> it was almost like I couldn't get into anything unless I got the sign off from them. And, and I, and I was cognizant of that and I hated it. I was like, Oh, I don't feel like an individual. So it's funny that you ask because I went through a period of time where I'm like, I want to be my own person and have my own, like, you know, yeah. sense of identity and tastes. Um, but at the same time, I love all the stuff they showed me, like it just clicked. We just all are, are have a similar sensibility. You know, I, I remember they had introduced me to Converge way early on. That was my first like heavy 
heavy yeah. band. And I was like, damn, this is really hard to listen to, but it feels raw. And I liked that. And then it was my cousin, Alex, who I eventually started Actor Observer with many years later. But when I was really young, like 13 or 14, my cousin Alex was the one who introduced me to Miss Machine by Dillinger Escape Plan. And I was like, this fucks. Like, we listened to Sunshine the Werewolf on repeat, just that track, just like, oh my God, the strings, the trumpets. So, like, there was a mix, you know? I got into the Mars Volta from MySpace and was like, holy shit, I got into Luxus on Fire because of Alex and MySpace. So, like, that's when I started developing more of a love for that more weird post-hardcore stuff. I would say the artists that felt like... The two artists that felt like my own at a time when I was really like emotionally raw in high school were uh, City in Color and Bon Iver. Um, and of course, I was introduced to both artists by Sean and Brian, but it was sort of at the time they they introduced them as like, oh yeah, check this out, it's pretty good. But like they they weren't like, this is my jam. City in Color was was huge for me, and then. Bonnie Vare hit at a time when I was dealing with my first big breakup and it just like for Emma forever ago. And it was, it felt like a really organic experience. You know, I had just gotten out of my first serious relationship of like two years. I was completely destroyed. My dad picked me up from, you know, track practice or something. And, and he always had CDs kicking around and I just picked one up and it was Bonnie Vare. And I was like, is this that CD Brian lent you a while back? He said some guy like went to a cabin after a breakup and was sick. And he like, <laughs> like I vaguely remember Brian being like, Oh yeah, check this out. Like it was very nonchalant. And so it, it felt like I just like uncovered this thing that nobody really cared much about. And I was like, can we put this on? And my dad was like, okay. So I popped it in the CD player and I just stared out the window and it was February. It was winter. I was sad. And I was just like, What? is this? And I was like, I'm feeling things. (laughs) And I was like, Hey, can I take this? And right, right when we got home, I took the CD, went into my bedroom, put it on the CD player on my stereo. Uh, and I laid in my bed and I listened to that record three times on repeat. And which record was it? I'm trying to get there forever ago. Okay. Yeah. So that was like two, was that 2008? Yeah. I remember. I have this weird thing. And I, I don't mean to make light of your situation because that experience, I mean, I think that's what that's what separates us from like the muggles of of society is the people muggles. who like people who can wow. like ex- experience music <laughs> on such a deep personal level where it just kind of like melts you in your chair. Like I, I've been in that situation too, where I'm riding with a parent and I'm like, oh my god, the Stevie Wonder song is making me cry, but I can't show my emotion <laughs> in front of my parent. You know? The thing about Bon Iver that always gets me, and this is so stupid, but I just have to say it. I guess I trained my brain to expect the word Jovi after I see the word Bon. So every time I see Bon, I my brain goes living on a prayer. <laughs> it's like where my brain goes. And then it's like, oh, Bon Iver. And like, yeah, for, I think no, for the longest listen. time, yeah, I was like, maybe it's a typo on this blog. Because you remember when like blogs first started and like, yeah. you know, 03, 04, it'd be like typos all over the place. And I was like, oh, maybe it was a spell check thing and this is a new Bon Jovi record. No, <laughs> it wasn't. Well, that's really interesting. And it's 
it's interesting because it comes full circle. Whoops. It comes full circle because your record is very reminiscent of something that would be in in the vein in the catalog of of a City in Color or a Bon Iver, um, or even kind of like a a more um, ephemeral Elliot Smith in the way that you kind of have yeah. your your vocal delivery style. But it's also very maybe drastic isn't the right word, but I'll use it anyway a drastic departure from what you had done with actor observer. So Mm -hmm. without jumping too far ahead, I kind of want to go back a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time talking about bands that you're no longer in. I'm I'm not so much interested in that, but. And I am an actor observer. We're still going. Oh yeah, no, I know that. But I mean like (laughs) the the stuff that's in the vault, like whatever, you know, I got, but I'm I'm curious in terms of how we kind of arc your path from, that moment in your dad's car and then that moment in your bedroom after that breakup with the Boney Vera record to mm-hmm. what you're now on the precipice of, which is releasing your first solo record, getting from point A to point B, at what point did you decide to start performing music and what was the kind of music that you started performing? Was it in that vein or did you kind of veer more towards the hardcore and metalcore stuff? It was both simultaneously. It's always oh, been wow. both simultaneously. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's always been both simultaneously. Um, essentially, I, I grew up in Connecticut and the area we were in just didn't have a music scene. And meanwhile, I was so like inspired and blown away by the Boston hardcore scene with Brian Sean's bands, Vanna, and Therefore I Am. And I was like, man, I want to be a part of that. Like, that's that seems so sick. So where in, in Connecticut school, were you growing up? Litchfield near Torrington. It's like northwest-ish corner. Waterbury, Watertown, that area. Okay. Yeah, there just was nothing happening there. Nobody was really into the stuff that I was into. I had a few friends who were, and so we tried to start a band together, and we played one show. Uh, I remember it was my first like real rock band show, <laughs> uh, and we covered Queens of the Stone Age, Foo Fighters, Incubus, The Strokes, Jimmy Eat World. So it, I was like an alt-rock kid. like Yeah all the way i was very much a 90s kid growing up in the early 2000s uh and then but like the more i the the more i experienced like the hardcore scene the actual like live performances and like just got into heavier music i was like i want to sink my teeth into this like i was really into alexis on fire and i was getting more into converge and um and like Norma Jean and thrice and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was like, I really want to be in a heavy band. I want to just fucking rip shit up. Yeah. Uh, and so I knew I wanted to do that, but I also knew that like bandmates aren't just going to fall out of the sky. And until then I got to make music and I love acoustic stuff. I love performing. I just wanted to perform. I wanted to write. I knew it was like, I want to be a professional musician. So I got to start somewhere. So I was always just fiddling with my acoustic, learning how to write songs on acoustic, covering City and Color, covering um, all sorts of like uh, different artists. Definitely covered like Everlong a billion times by Foo Fighters, <laughs> uh, and and I played like open mics and little gigs here and there. And if you look on the internet, you can find some, and they're super embarrassing, but they're also very. Um, but it's your path, you know, charming. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, And so I just like was an acoustic musician while I worked on figuring out a band. And so 
I like learned how to use GarageBand, and I completely was just like, "This computer has music recording built in. I'm gonna do this." And I just recorded to the microphone on the Mac, or like I didn't know any better. I was just like, "Cool," and I already had like a feel for like editing and moving stuff around because you know GarageBand lend it lend itself to that, yeah. and so I made two self-recorded like demo EPs of all original acoustic songs between high school and like the age, like age 20. And, um, were those under your name? Yeah. Just Greg Marquis. Um, put them up on MySpace. I burned CDs and I printed those CDs sometimes with a stamp or I got little stickers, whatever. And I had no goal other than like, I'm creating and here's music that I've made. Um, meanwhile, I was forming the band that would become Actor Observer with my cousin Alex um, and with other friends and like Dan Bob, our current drummer. And so I was living in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, simultaneously, like in the afternoons, fiddling on acoustic. And then when we had band practice, playing in our, our practice space. And so I was really developing my voice as an acoustic artist, as well as uh, like a rock hardcore musician. So it was kind of tandem and, almost the entire time. Yeah, very yeah. much so. And, How did you um, end up in New Hampshire? Oh, that was like, uh, so Alex was living there and he was in Portsmouth and I had visited and it was amazing. And I was a spring admitted student to Northeastern, meaning that instead of going to college in the fall, like everybody else, I had to wait a semester. And so I was like, well, I want to get the hell out of the house. And we were like, why don't I just move in with Alex, get a job at the bakery he works at. And we will just jam and start our band. And it was a really great first experience out of the house of just living on my own and working. And Portsmouth is just such a sweet town. I always want to, I've always wanted to go back there. I don't know if I want to live there now, but for a long time I was like, I'm definitely going to live here again. But um, well, at but what yeah. point did Actor Observer really start to take shape? That, that's uh, there are different stages. So, like two thousand, the summer of two thousand ten is when we were like, okay, we're forming a band, we got this. And then, yeah. um, at the end of two thousand ten, I moved back to Boston for my second semester of school, and that's when we played our first show. I think at the Middle East, um. And we had our name, Actor Observer. So 2010 was officially when we like started, but we went through so many iterations and member changes and like sound changes because we we're still figuring it out. It was really sure. a learning band. So like I consider Actor Observer in its current state not really starting until 2015 um, because we're just so we're just so different, different people, different sound, um, and it was around 2013 that I had done my, I had done uh, my third EP as a solo artist. Um, this time with a little more help of like friends who were experienced in the studio and stuff like that. They had like college resources and stuff. I was just so not stoked on the music I was making. Like I liked parts of it, but I was just, I felt so self-conscious and embarrassed of, of hearing my voice of the recording quality like I knew what I wanted it to sound like and it just wasn't sounding like it. And I just wasn't, I wasn't a fan of my own music. Why do you think and that that taste changed in, in terms of what you were doing? I honestly felt that way making all my acoustic music. I sort of just felt like, 
well, I got to make something and I got to just bite down and not be embarrassed if I don't love how it sounds. But I really just took a moment and was like, I don't like any of these songs. I just think, I think I was maturing as a songwriter. I was going from being a teenager to being an adult. And I was like 22 when I was like, I just hear a kid. I can't not hear a kid. I hear lyrics that aren't placed right. I hear, I loved big words and Brian, Brian, Brian and I used to have a lot of conversations. He's like, you like using big words. That's, that's okay. Just maybe, you know, don't use them all the time. (laughs) I just used like, like SAT words when I really didn't need to, you know, and I, 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 I could hear it and I just, I couldn't not criticize what I was listening to. I was like, I wouldn't listen to this if I wasn't, if it wasn't mine. And then that's a shitty feeling if you're not a fan of your own music. So that was the time at which I stopped playing guitar in Actor Observer because I wanted to just be a front man. So we got a guitarist to take over for me. Once I became just a front man, just a lyricist, vocalist, like that's all I really wanted to focus on was vocals. Guitar kind of took a backseat and the acoustic stuff, I was just like, eh, that can just like sit in the background if anyone wants to find it cool. But I'm not, I wasn't promoting it. I was like, and I always thought someday I'll come back to it. But right now, this is my focus. I want to make actors over great. I don't know how to make my solo stuff great. I, I, I just don't know that I don't like it and I feel a little embarrassed of it. So I'm just going to leave it. Right. Well, let's dive into Actor Observer a little bit. The record that I know came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. Pareidolia. I, yeah, I remember that you guys had done a significant amount of touring around that. These past few years, notwithstanding this pandemic, it's been an interesting slash difficult time for bands like yours and bands like mine who are, you know, maybe too big to play in certain houses or kind of do the basement scene thing. And we're also adults and we don't want to be doing that kind of thing, but not necessarily (laughs) working well in the, the capacity rooms in terms of, you know, making those deals work wherever we went. And so it's kind of a hodgepodge. How did you guys fare once the record was out and you guys were kind of firing on all cylinders? Did you, did you think that you guys were kind of in a good position or did it kind of feel like a, a more of a constant struggle? Like where were you guys at? We've always been a self-driven DIY band and this was our first release with a record label, no sleep. And at the time we had a friend managing us. Um, and I think we put our self-driven DIY ethic, like kind of to the side thinking these folks are going to help us do bigger stuff. And when that didn't pan out, we had a manager at the time who told us to hold off on booking our own tour. They were going to try and pitch us for bigger tours. And then it never happened. And then it was too late to book our own. So we never got to tour when the record came out. And that was a real disappointment because I've always been like, oh, we will do it ourselves. We will figure it out. I just need enough time in advance so we were we were pretty we were pretty bummed that like the release after waiting like 18 months after recording it you know like it, we were finally ready to like let's fucking do this we're ready to fire on all cylinders we had our newest member where things were finally clicking like every single yeah. one of us was like let's fucking go and then it was like we didn't really have a team to help us and because we we mistakenly relied on a team to help us we needed to play catch up as individuals. So, um, once we realized like, okay, this isn't, this isn't 
like we don't need a manager. We just need to do shit ourselves. And 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 no sleep is is supporting us. Like Chris has always been great at supporting us and what we want to do. We're like, let's just do that. That's the fun part about being in a DIY band is we're empowered to do things our way. So let's fucking do it. So then, um, all of 2019, like 20, like end of 2018 to 2019, we were like, let's go hard. And we're, I, I was like, I will book everything. And we started touring really heavily. We did our longest tour. It was a month long. It felt amazing like and we were seeing good growth we're seeing good responses to the records like when we put ourselves out there people responded well but it was just so hard to put ourselves out there um but it was going great and it just seems like every every year there's something different so the previous year it was a member change uh and then it was you know, the, the, the record and us not landing tours that we thought we would get. And then the next year when we're finally like high momentum, let's go after our, right before our longest tour, we found out Brett had to let us know Brett, who was our bassist from like almost the very beginning. One of my best friends had to leave actor observer because of a hearing issue. Um, Oh, wow. He's, uh, I don't want to speak too much on it because that's like his personal medical thing. But basically, uh, he was worried about hearing loss and he was like, I can't be in a loud band anymore. And it broke all of our hearts because oh, yeah. it, we were like, Brett was just as like gung ho as I was about like, let's fucking do the thing. And then it was like, guys, I can't be in the band after this tour. So he did our, we did a one month tour where we were like, this is going so great. We're doing so well. We're like making money and we're playing well and we click as a band. But knowing that, you know, after this, Brett's gone and we got to find a new bassist. And yeah, it's a deflating feeling. Yeah, Dude, it was just like every year, right when we started to like get things turning, something else happened. And so 2019, oddly enough, after that, we very quickly found a good friend who's been part of our, like part of our social circle as a band for years, Jake Satow. And Jake was like, I've always wanted to be in this band. And I never thought you'd ask. I never thought this would, would come up, but yes, I'm down. I'm totally like, I'm here for everything. We're like, Oh my God, Jake, you're perfect. He's always been like family. Yeah. And so we're like, wow, it clicked into place pretty quickly. And we got back on our feet surprisingly quickly and we we're like all right let's go like we're back on track we toured and uh, did a small tour in canada we ended the year at our favorite venue at sinclair with can't swim and we were like cool and then we were like 2020 is gonna be fucking sick <laughs> right little did we know that would be the darkest pun of our lives i'm gonna interrupt this interview very quickly to give a special thanks and to let you know about another sponsor of the Berman Hour podcast, and that is Hello Productions. You might know them as Hello TV. They're based in Nashville, Tennessee. They are a turnkey live concert video production company that have been killing it in the live stream production game since this quarantine began. And we all know that we're starting to crawl out of it, but we also know that live streaming is not going to go away. This is going to be a new thing that will be supplemental to traditional touring. And Hello TV can help you if you're an artist, if you're a manager, if you're a booking agent, if you're a venue, or even if you're just someone who runs a company that wants to do something kind of outside the box. Go to hellotv.com, H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V.com. Some of the recent shows they did, did you see the Smith & Myers record release show that they did for free? That was so good. 
That was on Hello TV. Did you see the recent Bayside live stream event? They did 10 years celebrating 10 years of Killing Time, one of my favorite records of theirs. Well, that Bayside live stream event was also produced by Hello TV. So go to H E L L O O O TV.com and start to think about how you can incorporate live streaming your shows into your future touring plans. And if you're not there yet, you're not ready to start touring, that's okay. Hello Productions can help you put on one hell of a fantastic live stream event. H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V.com. I want to thank them for being a great sponsor of the Berman Hour podcast. And now back to my interview with Marquis Lavoie. Was it a matter of having to be creative while you're in that stagnant stage of, of not being busy with your bands? How did, how did you come back from something that you had developed a distaste for? How did that flavor come back in a positive yeah, way for you? It really was from that period of time. So while Act Observer was like waiting and waiting on like the right opportunity to, to release the record that we were just sitting on, I was just growing more anxious and feeling my life, my career slipping by. I was meeting, I was reaching that quarter life crisis where I like, I thought I'd be further ahead by now. I thought the band would be doing bigger shit. Like I, I don't know. I, I just was feeling so pent up. And on top of it, I was so focused on all that music business shit that I wasn't being a musician the only times I was being a musician were during band practice or during shows. But otherwise, I wasn't fiddling with my guitar. I wasn't working on songs. I was just worrying and stressing about my fucking ego and my status and how the band was doing. Was I making the right decisions? And I, I had some toxic relationships in my life. And I just wasn't, I didn't feel like an artist. I was, I was just like, yeah, we made a record, but we made it in like 2017. And I was like, just feeling like I haven't picked up my guitar. You ever been at a point in your life? I don't know if you've ever gone through like dry spells and writing and creating or playing, but like you look at your guitar and it's like, it's mocking you. It's taunting you. And you just feel I've been guilt. there, man, dude. I've, you just feel I've, guilt. I hate that. Like, I've, I've been I've, there a few times. Yes. It's a horrible feeling. You look at your instrument and you're like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Like, you're like, I suck. I'm not a musician. And I was so tired of feeling that way. I had been so out of guitar, right? That I felt bad when I picked it up and, and was fumbling. And I was like, oh man, I'm like, I'm I've lost it. And it was just this feeling of like, am I an artist? Am I a musician? And I was still, even then, so caught up in, in, in the ego of like making it something, be, becoming something, like it has to be something instead of just like, what about playing music just to feel it? What about reconnecting with that? And I was uh, dating someone in late 2017 who was so musically inspired and inspiring and uh, very talented and just like made music left and right, kind of like nonchalantly. And that both inspired me and made me feel this like inferiority complex. Where I was like, wow, this person's just like so down to just create and make music. And here I am just feeling sorry for myself. And, but I really, it, it, it was that period of time where she helped me feel motivated of like, 
man, I should just like start covering songs again, just to, just to get back into it. Yeah, just let's to pierce sit, through that bitterness, you know? Yeah, let's not sit down and try to write something, right? Let's not sit down and try to prove ourselves to anyone. Let's sit down and just play the songs that feel good. And so I started learning uh, covers by the Avett Brothers, who I've loved since like 2010. Um, I started covering Bon Iver. I, I, I'd, I'd already covered Bon Iver, so it was nice to brush off songs I'd already covered way back in the day. I was like, I'll brush these off. I started learning new songs. I, I, I love Tallest Man on Earth, so I covered The Gardener. And it was like, oh, my God, I miss this. I miss the yeah. feeling and the sound of an acoustic guitar, of playing songs that I love, like songs that are undeniable. It doesn't matter who it's for. This is for me. And I think that's where it started. Is sure. that I started playing again for me. And I was in a really dark place. I was in a depressive episode. I was going through some crazy life changes and toxic relationships and breakups. And I was just like, this feels good and right. So I'm just going to do it. Yeah, and you got to chase it down. Started. At what point did you yeah. decide that you wanted to actually do this under a different moniker make it a little bit more of a shall i say professional forward momentum effort to do yeah. this with with what you're doing now it it slowly grew i started with no expectations i was like i'm covering songs and then by covering songs i was like hey i have this song i, I started writing in 2013 but i haven't really done anything with and i started playing it again and i was like oh i kind of like this and you know, I went back and forth between covering songs I liked and then playing songs and realizing, hey, I I like this. I like what I'm doing. And I, I, I was less critical of myself. I was allowing, because once again, I didn't expect it or care for it to see the light of day. I was like, I'm going to play stuff that feels good for me. And so I really let my guard down and was just like, this doesn't have to be for anyone. Just let songs happen. I don't care yeah. what it has to be. Don't self-edit while you're creating, let yourself create. And there's a whole mental shift. So it was the beginning of 2018 when I was like, wow, I'm kind of, I've got a like good collection of songs building here. I like had a couple I was writing and kicking around and then just kind of kept going. And, 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 and as I kind of worked on them, I, I was finding that, wow, all my years writing and recording and growing as a musician through Actor Observer and just like honing my taste and becoming more confident individual, also coming out of that depressive episode and building confidence of like making changes that were really hard to make, like painting this room was like, seems like a small thing, but this is an example of like my mental shift. It was a dark blue room before, which was just suffocating. And I painted it this bright color and I started just feeling better. And so I just trusted myself more. So it was very much trusting the process, which Brian and I have had so many conversations about. And I know I'm just going on and on when you asked a pretty simple, succinct question, but basically it was 2018 that I was like, I like making this music and I'm just going to keep making it. And that was it. No pressure. Just, I'm just going to keep writing and eventually maybe i'll release it i don't know who cares so there wasn't a plan it was just more of a therapy no. a therapy yeah it was therapeutic i like writing and building and collecting songs and i like putting together a project 
you know, so I, I like the process of like, ooh, what's the album art going to be? And what's the concept? And like, I like thinking about those things. So naturally, as a professional musician, I started to just go, I've got an EP growing here. Maybe yeah. I'll make something of that. And I and I, I treated it with that attitude. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's it's up to me. And nobody, there's no pressure. I, I had just started dating my, my current partner, Michelle, and she was so supportive and was like, you have these great songs, you should record them. So... She's an illustrator. We went away to a cabin. She worked on her books. I worked on recording the demos for my album. And when I came back, I was like, as romantic as that was, this is not the sound quality I want. I'm not a music engineer. I'm going to do this the right way. So it was, I would say it was 2019 that I was like, I'm going to make these full complete songs and I'm going to do this right. I know how to do it. I know what it looks like. I'm going to just apply everything I've learned. I'm going to be my own manager, be my own label, and I'm going to make a record that I'm fully proud of that doesn't feel like I cut any corners. And so that's what I did. I apologize. I should have asked this before. How do you pronounce it? Because I don't have that <laughs> Quebecois on, on my know, tongue like you do. I know. I, I, I don't know. Marquis if Lavoie? Oh, so close. Uh, if we were true French people, it'd probably be like Marquis Lavoie. But if anyone's actually French out there, they probably hate me for trying that. So our American version of our, this, these are both family names, Marquis Lavoie. Marquis Lavoie. Marquis Lavoie. Right. How do you say that in a Boston accent? Uh, fucking Marquis Lavoie. Ma- Marquis Kid. Lavoie guy. Fucking <laughs> Marquis Lavoie guy. You that fucking Marquis Lavoie guy? All right, so the work that you did was not futile as you were in the depressive rut of, of 2017 and 2018, mm-hmm. both personally and with what was going on with the shitty people that you were working with in the actor-observer mm-hmm. camp. And then you're kind of climbing that out of that in 2019. You're watering the plants of Marquis Lavoie. Marquis Lavoie. Marquis Lavoie. All right, so you're watering that. It's growing. <laughs> Did you always have the intention of it being a record or were you thinking that maybe it could just be a series of singles? And before you answer, I have to preface by saying that this is something that I ask everybody, both in my work capacity when I interview people for Hello TV, but also on this podcast when I'm talking to musicians. When you're an independent artist like we are, if you're on the fence about whether it should be singles or an EP or a record, it's really easy to get like into the weeds in your own mind about what is right and what is wrong. So I'm kind of curious what your rationale is sans judgment, just because I'm curious. Yeah, man. Uh, that, that's a good question. Cause yeah, we are at a time where you really have to think critically about, we don't have to, but inevitably it comes up where you're like, I release these as singles. I mean, this song's ready. This one's almost ready. Do I just record this one, get it out there, and maybe the next one? And do I do a whole album? And then there's the question of, well, I've got seven songs that are fucking locked and loaded and ready to go. Do I release those? Is that an EP? Is that an album? Do I wait till I have more? I'm like, fuck all of that. It has to be double digits. Can't be, there, can't be nine. It has to be ten songs to be a record. I'm... No! What number did you land on? So, uh, I'm sorry to tell you. Okay, are you calling it an EP or are you calling it a record? That my my record is seven songs. Oh man, that's the interview's over. 
Yeah, you asked. So I'm fucking Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I'm fucking Bruce Springsteen, guy. Wow, that sentence out of context sounds like I'm fucking yeah. Bruce Springsteen. And honestly, if I were, if I were, worth bragging about. No, okay, so like, uh, it's funny that you mentioned this because I feel like we are in a tide shift of all the rules, right? You got the OG folks being like, no, this is how records go. It's, <laughs> it's, it's 10 or more songs, that's a record. Anything less, that's an EP. Yeah, Fuck you for fucking with it. And it's, nobody gives a shit anymore, dude. Like, it doesn't fucking matter nobody cares you can release one song on fucking soundcloud and be on top of the world look at billy eilish she didn't have a full length record out until she was already selling out like fucking stadiums and shit like it was just single 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 and so it it i i i questioned that i was like do i call it an ep yeah what i don't like is that people diminish it when you call it an ep people go oh it's just an ep it's just an EP. Let's wait till they have a real... Fuck that, man. Like, I made these songs that I'm really proud of all on my own, recorded them however I could, found the money to record it, and guess what? I could only afford to do this for seven songs. If anybody wants to throw me some money so I can afford to do my 13-song, like, full orchestra epic, by all means, let's fucking go. But this is what I have. I'm yeah. ready to go. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of all the rules. I, will, I have music that I'm... I just want to share with people and I'm tired of figuring out how to market it and label it. It's my record. And if anybody has a problem with that, it's 30 minutes of music. I've heard records with 14 songs that are 20 minutes long. So who cares? You know, and I've talked to some people in the music industry. It's split right now. When you ask the question is seven songs an EP or a record, you're going to get different answers. And you're going to get people who are like, no, that's an EP. And if you call it anything else, you're, you're a fucking liar. And then you have other people who are like, that's a record. I don't care. Let's go. Like, yeah. I think where we agree and, and I, you know, I'm obviously being facetious about, you know, <laughs> yeah, but I am going to sue you out of court for a couple of beers. That's going to happen. That's fine. I think that we, what we share is that we dislike the term EP because it feels like a half measure. Yeah. It's a semicolon. It's a comma. It's not a punctu- punctuation. It's not a declarative statement. And yeah, it so says you weren't ready, but you had something. So I like that you're flipping the script on it. Whereas it's seven songs. Fuck you. If you don't think it's a record, it's 30 minutes. Here we go. It's, and it's also seven songs I'm proud of. No filler. Right. I'd rather listen to a great, one of my favorite EPs of all time is bad rabbits. First EP stick up kids. And I listen to that nonstop. I just got it on vinyl last week, and I've been listening to that record all the time since 2010. I call that one of my favorite records of all time. Seven songs. It yeah. doesn't matter because they, they didn't have to fill in three extra songs just to meet the LP status and three songs that sucked or, or that were like, meh. No, it's just seven fucking bangers. And I'm like, that is way more valuable as a musical product, and I don't care what you call it. Right. So, so you've had two singles out now. You've had mm-hmm. the first one was Perennial. I'm curious when you wrote it because it sounds very much like it could be written in the doldrums of a brutal quarantine pandemic northeast gray dreary winter. You know, <laughs> you're singing about taking away December's pain. There was a lot of pain for a lot of people, myself included, this mm-hmm. past December. The fall yeah. wasn't a cakewalk either. And we're all kind of going through this. Was there any influence, even if it was just through osmosis 
from what <laughs> we've been going through, you know, we, you mentioned earlier that you kind of got through like 2017 and 2018 on, on proverbial crutches. You got to the, to the end of 2019 and y'all felt like you were, you know, tenacious on top of the world and you had really accomplished something and you were excited for 2020. We're all dealt this shit sandwich that we have to eat for 2020. Did a lot of that, that feeling, um, about around what we collectively went through last year seep into what you were putting out for this new solo project? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, I finished the lyrics for this this solo record, not EP. Uh, <laughs> I finished the lyrics for it uh, in in twenty eighteen. Okay. I started tracking it at the end of twenty eighteen, but of course, it was with favors, friends, wherever I could fit it in. So like, it wasn't can, like I went man. to the, yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't go to the studio for a week and it was done. So it was a long process. So it was like, whenever I could squeeze in studio time, I tracked vocals, I tracked guitars, you know, at the end of 2018. So the songs were formed. I knew what they were going to be. They just had to be recorded. Sorry, 2019. I'm getting my, my shit mixed up. It was the end of 2019 that I started tracking. And then it was beginning of 2020. I was like, great we're tracking the cellos we were halfway done tracking the cellos uh we had just tracked the trumpet and i was like okay this record's probably going to be done by end of march that was the goal record was going to be done being tracked by end of march it's going to get it mixed mastered and maybe release it for the fall of 2020 that was my goal obviously march rolled around COVID happened and everything took a back seat and like i i was i mean like everyone I was just like both the projects I've invested all my life and time and emotions and effort, energy and effort. And I've all gone to shit. And I was on the brink of considering switching fully to music industry jobs. Glad I didn't. I would have been super fucked. So I mean, all of March, April and May was just finding peace and retaining sanity. It was just me and my roommates watching every Marvel movie, making dinner once a week for each other, just trying to survive and make sense of the world. I didn't even want to touch my instrument. So once I did revisit it, we like, I mean, I was so determined. I was like, I've started this project. I'm going to finish it however I can. I know enough about music recording. um, We have the equipment here. We turned our basement into a studio during COVID. We, we like cleaned it all out and we like set it up. We had the gear and we were like, I was like, I'm going to finish tracking here. So I finished tracking all the backup vocals, extra guitars, redid the trumpet, had Leo come over when it was safe to do so, mm-hmm. had Nate come over and finish the, the, the cello. Couldn't have Dylan do drums at the time because of the restrictions, but Nick, my bandmate from Actor Observer, who I live with, he plays drums, so I had him play on one of the songs, and we finished tracking in my basement, and I was like, like furiously editing and just like living in that world. I was like, this record's going to get done, and that was like in spring. Mm-hmm. I finished tracking and editing in October, and was like, all right, I'm going to get it mixed. COVID had the the whole pandemic had de- definitely an influence on the end result, not necessarily the lyrics and how the songs were composed, but the feeling of what it represents to me, because 
I think anyone who suffers from chronic depression uh, um, or other other issues like will will tell you that when the pandemic hit, it felt like the rest of the world was forced to deal with the mental state that a depressive person deals with on a pretty right? regular basis. I couldn't have said it better myself, but yeah. That, so for yes. me, we're dealing with this global or at least national, but yeah, global trauma, this dark, isolated, fucked up, like existential, like uh, just, just complete upheaval and for folks like maybe you or me who like I'm on medication, I've been on medication for years for depression and anxiety. It sort of felt like join the club, <laughs> like strap in. And so I felt actually very prepared for disappointment. I felt prepared to be miserable. And in fact, I was not as miserable as maybe I, I could have been. Yeah. And so I did sort of feel like this record has so much more purpose. I mean, the song Perennial, I lost both my grandparents in 2017. That song is about losing the elders in my life to sickness and both in the same year. And it was not lost on me that like people are experiencing that right now. Yeah. And I always intended for, once I started thinking of other people listening to this music, I always intended for it to be consoling or comforting um, like I, I, I just, I wanted music to find people, my music to find people in that place where Bonnie Vare's music found me, which was, I know it hurts, but I got you. Yeah. Like I just wanted to, it to be like that cozy blanket, that one flicker of warmth in the middle of winter when you're like, I'm so fucking miserable. All I want is somebody to hold my pain and grief and just cradle it. And, um, and that was kind of the the emotion and mentality that went into writing the songs because that's what I needed. So it was me cradling my own pain and grief and and wanting that that feeling of comfort to be bestowed upon someone else. So it feels like there's this extra weight to it with with COVID where I'm like, I really hope these songs do that for people if they can, you know? Yeah, and that's really all, beautifully said, right? Because it's yeah. it's a it can be a thera- it, it can be a therapeutic process. It can also just kind of be like a fuck off and have fun process when you're writing yeah. songs, and, and uh, but both, you know, the the means to the end is that it makes you feel better and it enriches your life, not financially, of course, that's a whole other conversation, but it enriches right. your life in a way that didn't exist before you wrote the song, and and that's why artists pursue art and the idea of getting it out there and letting it go in the hopes that it can provide that same sort of soothing relief to somebody else it is a powerful thing and um you know i i like the way that you kind of talked you you went back to the idea of that bonivere record because that feeling that you had in in your dad's car and then in your room to that record like you're going to be chasing down trying to provide that feeling for your listeners hopefully for the rest of your life i know i will you know Life will happen, and I don't know how the timeline will shake out for either of us, but that's the goal is to be able to forever be chasing that dragon, that peaceful dragon. Well, and not just for others. I think what I really clicked into for this is I found that feeling in my own music for myself. Yes. 
And that's the truest gift. Somebody asked the question um, last year on Facebook. They asked, what, what, musician, what musician saved your life this year? And I thought about it, and I know it sounds pretentious out of context, but I was like, me. And I'm not ashamed to say that because I wrote songs that I love and I can't tell you how good that feels to be like, I love these songs. They feel good. I can sit down and play these songs and feel consoled. And I'm like, I've never given that to myself before. I've never known that self love and appreciation. So the fact that I've already been playing these songs all throughout 2020 and they've helped me get through, they've given me something to look forward to that. They've been a source of solace to come back to. It's just icing. If I can share that with other people and have that come across to anyone else. And I think that's the sweet spot. If you can do that for yourself, then it's sort of like, it's like a Chinese finger trap. If you try too hard to, you're not going to get your fingers out, but if you just relax and then it, it just kind of comes together. I know that sounds really reductive, but it, I, I'm just glad that I made music that was therapeutic for me first and that I'm proud enough of that hopefully it can be that for other people. And if we'll see how it goes, but I'll, no one can take away from me the fact that I'm in a better mental state through making this music. And that is really important. Very beautifully put by my friend Greg Marquis, otherwise known as Marquis Lavoie. It's been a hard year for creative types. It's been a hard year for artistic types. I would like to use that as a segue, a tactful segue, to the great sponsors that I have this week on the Berman Hour podcast because they're both designed to help the creative types. First, you might think it's a stretch, but New Wave's Flow State Coffee, it's labeled Coffee for Creativity. Right? It's coffee with raw cacao and L-theanine, which is an amino acid that is meant to put your brain into a flow state, into an optimal performance mode, so that you can be creative and focused to the best of your ability. Get 10% off your order, newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N, and also Hello TV, otherwise known as Hello Productions, your place to go for an awesome live stream concert event. They have so many shows on their YouTube channel that you can watch for hours that are fantastic. And if you're an artist and thinking about doing an event yourself, hit them up, H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V.com. Thanks again to Greg Marquis. Everyone be sure to follow him on Instagram. Be sure to check out his record online. And it's also available, beautiful vinyl. I can't wait to get mine. It's going to be awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Berman Hour podcast. I'll see you all next week. Peace.